So excited that you're here, you know, for this second week of parenthood. Before we jump into it, just a couple of just quick other things. Uh, one, as many of you know, we launched a campus last week at Freeman. Over 350 people showed up at Freeman High School last week. Isn't that amazing? Awesome. Uh, also, before we jump in today, I want to mention, you know, for those of you who've been around, this is not news, is that we've been talking about financially being, you know, responsible about the, uh, the realistic you know, uh, reality of uh, expanding this facilities. Uh, here at the Bar Campus, I continue to reach this community for Jesus one person at a time. People are moving here left and right. You can see it, uh, you know, in the hills, literally behind this church, you know, uh, and around the region. And so, uh, and this is about as maximum capacity we can actually put, you know, in a place like this. And so we're just trying to say, how do we help minister to the needs of our community? So there's two ways um, I, I need you to join with us uh, as we continue to move forward. Number one is that you would commit yourselves to prayer. That every day from this point on, you know, uh, that you would say, God, just, we just pray for your will. We pray for wisdom. We pray for the leadership and there's decisions. We pray that you would just guide also my process in, the, in, in this part on however that may look. So I'm calling our entire church, if you call this place your home, to just pray on a regular basis as we continue to move forward. Second thing is we need your input. We value collaboration. We value what you believe and what you think and the way you've been processing your time here. So this last week, we sent out over 5,000 emails with a survey so that we could get at least 1,000 of them back. And so if you were one that says, wait a minute, I didn't get one of those surveys. Well, it's probably our bad. We probably maybe did not put your email in address or it's in your junk box, you know, whatever it may be. But if you did not get one at the front page of our website, you can click right there and just say, start the survey. And so again, we're trying to get 1,000 thousand responses so we can continue to move forward and say, God, how are you leading this place as we continue to reach this community for Jesus one person at a time? So as we continue this series, I want to review, remind you that last week we said the priority of parenting is to move a child's dependence from us to a loving and dependent relationship with God. And we just walked out of here going, more is caught than taught. And so where are you in the process of loving and being in independence you know, of Jesus Christ? And so this applies to everybody. And just like last week, even though we're talking about parenting, I think that you'll come to realize, wait a minute, the things that Dan is talking about from God's word actually deals with all relationships, even though we're going to use a lot of parenting as examples. Now, one last thing. Today's going to feel maybe a little bit different if you've been here before. Um, uh, I'm going to walk through some unchanging principles of parenting. I don't have it figured out. I'm on the journey with you. And so instead of preaching, I want us to have a conversation. So this is going to be very, very practical, but uh, it's going to be uh, just a little bit tone, a little bit tenor as we kind of walk through these things. So what are some of the unchanging principles of parenting? Now, when I say that, some of you are like, no, 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 it's changing all the time. And you would be right. Uh, let, let me give you an example that uh, parenting changes with ages, stages, multiple kids, all that kind of stuff. For example, your first kid, if you have one child, you know, comes out, you don't know what to do with the child. You're afraid to break the child. You don't want the child to get sick and so you protecting, you put them in bubbles and all this other kind of stuff to make sure nothing bad happens to your child. For example, uh, they have their first pacifier and the pacifier hits the ground. As a parent, freak out. Oh no, the pacifier hit the ground. We gotta take it, we gotta wash it, we gotta disinfect it. In fact, some of you will throw it out and give them a brand new pacifier because there's no way you want your child to get sick. Then you have child number two. Pacifier hits the ground. Five second rule. You're like, ah, you know, that's all right. Wash it a little bit, you know, stick it right back in the mouth. They'll be fine. Third child comes around. 
You don't even notice that the pacifier is outside the child's mouth. It's been on the ground for, you know, maybe hours. The dog has licked it. You've stepped on it accidentally. You pick it up. You look at it. Ah, it's not going to kill them. You just stick it right back in their mouth. Right? <laughs> Principles of parenting. It changes. You know, ages and stages. We understand that. Uh, but there are things that we can learn from Jesus who had an encounter with kids that is timeless. It's not based on a generation. It's not based on culture. These are things that we can learn from Jesus. Oftentimes, we just take the words of Jesus and we apply it to our lives, and that would be true. But sometimes we need to recognize what is he doing? What are his methods? How is he living? Because sometimes those are some of the greatest principles we can walk away with as well. So in Mark chapter 10, we read of a somewhat famous encounter that Jesus had with kids. It says, one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. Now, the average principle of this would be, okay, what did Jesus say? We must become like little children. There's some character traits of kids that we tend to lose as adults that we want to hold on to in order to grow in our relationship with God and enter the kingdom of God. But notice what Jesus did. So here's three unchanging principles. The first is notice how Jesus valued the importance of a loving touch, right? Value the importance of a loving touch. How important is it for us to regularly, appropriately touch our kids? How important is that? Unfortunately, you know, uh, we have read horrific stories uh, that the Nazis have done in Germany and even in orphanages today where kids, even as infants, may be fed, they may be changed, they may have shelter, they have all those things, and yet they may actually eventually die if they're not nurtured and touched on a regular basis. God wired us to have to touch one another for healing, for wholeness, for fulfillment even in life. There is power that takes place in a loving, appropriate touch. In fact, in Mark 6, 56, it says, wherever Jesus went, in villages, cities, and the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces, and they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. What's fascinating is that word touched is mentioned 20 times in our uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus. And in every single time that it's associated with Jesus, touch equaled healing which is fascinating to be able to look at that. You're like, okay, Jesus could have always just said the words and everybody could have always been healed all the time, but there was something important that God had wired when it came to physical touch and even healings. Now, when I say the idea and the importance of physical touch, some of you get excited and some of you cringe. So let me uh, just kind of throw this out there. How many of you, by a show of hands, you um, are a huggy, physical touch kind of person? Raise your hand. Huggy, physical touch? Okay. How many of you would say you are the opposite? You are not really a huggy, physical touch kind of person. Okay, I find myself, and I'm gonna have to explain this well because it's getting so confused in the last service, I blew it. So I'm more on the latter side, right? I am not a really a huggy, huggy kind of person, you know, a physical touch. It's not, it's not my primary love language outside the marriage, you know, when it comes to relationships, especially with guys, Okay, especially with guys. Right or wrong, I have some guy rules when it comes to hugs, okay? And so there's appropriate hugs that makes me feel comfortable. One would be the handshake, pull in, arm around, and release. 
That is appropriate. Okay, that is good. Feels great. You're going to be able to do that. The next, if there's one of you guys with a real huggy, you want to come in, you want to give a hug, great. Let's just get a big hug. Let's get in there, but we got to do a pat, 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 and we're done. Okay? There's no fourth pat, and there's no longer embrace because it's weird for both of us, you know, at that point. Okay? So these are some rules. What's fascinating, you know, for me is that those rules go out the window when it came to athletics growing up. Or when it came to athletics growing up, you know, you're on the football field or basketball or whatever it may be. I mean, you're hugging, you're high-fiving, you're chest bumping, and you're even slapping each other on the rear. Now, let me make sure I'm clear. You would slap, not cup. You don't cup, you slap. Because if you cup, you get socked in the face. And so there was specific rules that you even had even on the sport. So slapping okay, cupping not okay. When it came to sports or anybody in our lobby after the service, please. Now, where did, I, where did I get that idea? Where is that? Well, you know, again, more is caught than taught. My dad was not a hugger. My dad was not a, a, a person who showed a lot of physical affection, even to us as kids. And, and so I didn't receive a lot of, you know, warm embraces and hugs, and he didn't receive it from his mom and dad. And so it was something that's been passed down. But one thing I realized was that kids need this, even if it's uncomfortable for me. And so where I have found myself growing is even though something is uncomfortable for me at times, I'm willing to do it for the benefit of you. This is where I get so many people like, I'm not going to hug you anymore. I'm like, that's not what I said. I'm able to do that. I've grown, you know, in that time, but especially as it pertains to our kids. Now, it does seem natural for most of us to hold the kids when they're young. So, I mean, right, the infants up to two, three, four, but something happens at a certain age that we start putting distance between the physical affection that you have with your kids, whether it be in their middle school years, in their high school years, or even beyond. There is a tendency for distance. And yet what's funny, research still shows the need for appropriate touch does not decrease as kids get older, but actually the need increases, especially in girls. Dads, girls, especially in the preteen or teenage years, need appropriate touches from you. If you're a single mom, is there another male influence that can give appropriate touches on a regular basis? Now, we know things are going to get weird. You know, part of the weirdness when you talk to dads, the research says, well, they start developing, and I'm just not sure. Am I supposed to, you know, do all? Yes, continue to do what God has called you to do because there is a tendency, knowing that that is a need as girls get older, and again, I'm speaking in generalities. I understand that, but I got 30 minutes or less. This is not the end all be all. The conversation is supposed to continue. Forgot to tell you that at the beginning. So understand, you know, when you're having these, you know, uh, embraces and having these, these hugs on a regular basis, if the girls do not receive that as they go into their teenage years, they need that more as they grow older than even when they were younger. Where do you think they're going to go look for that from? Right, right. So we want to help with that. We want to walk alongside that journey. Now, boys also need loving touch just as much as girls. Studies have shown, though, in our culture, in American culture, girls at a younger age are touched five times more when they're younger than boys are. Again, there's something that's wired in us, in our culture, whatever it may be. And yet, understand, I understand that for typically for a lot of boys, moms, let me talk to you for just a second, um, there is a certain age where they don't want some of the touches that you're giving. The butterfly kisses and the Eskimo kisses just don't work in high school. I'm just saying and they're just like, no, mom, that's not cool anymore. Let's just not do that anymore. Like we got we to find new ways. And you do. You got to kind of get creative. 
And so maybe with the boys, you, you find secret handshakes and, and, and you make something up like that. You wrestle, you know, quite a bit more. Or I know something my wife does on a regular basis, and I try to do it as well, is uh, every single night. My son is 17 years old, and my wife will still go down and rub his back before he goes to sleep. Just regular, consistent touches. And there are some times, you know, in grieving and mourning and situations where I'm like, okay, this feels awkward for me, but I have to put me aside to say what's best for you. And we could see this involved. As you can see, it's not just in parenting, it's in all relationships. In fact, I had a guy, you know, come tell me after last service, he goes, hey, I did a study and we found studies that there's something that happens when it comes to anxiety that it decreases after a 20 second hug. And I'm like, I'm not going to hug you for 20 seconds, buddy. I'm just, I'm not doing that. You know, I love you. Let's do the three pat thing. And then we'll add it up, you know, over time. Um, what he was referring to is he's had to told him, he had to tell his wife this because his wife is not a real big physical touch person. So she says, you know what? It may not be something that's beneficial to me, but I'm going to do it because it's beneficial to you. So that's what we do when it comes to relationships with one another. So the first, again, unchanging principle. If you notice what Jesus did, he wasn't one of those like uh, uh, preachers or pastors, you know, that you sometimes see weird on TV, you know, where, where physical touch was. Well, let the children come up, to, come up to me. And you go, demon, come out. And you hit them in the head and they fall down. That's not what he was doing. He says he embraced them, you know. He just pulled them in close. He touched them. He laid his hands on them. What a great model and example for us. So appropriate touch. That's the first unchanging principle. Second, how do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. For most kids, they spell love based on time. It's the most valuable commodity in our culture that continues to speed up year after year after year. Do we have time to love? Abundant time. In Mark 10, 14, remember, Jesus saw what was happening. He was angry with his disciples and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. <laughs> Think about it from Jesus' perspective, because we all have reasons why we can't spend time with our kids. Some of them may be priorities. There's work schedules. There's some of those realities. There's business trips. There's, you know, I'm a single parent. How in the world am I supposed to manage all of this? My hope, by the way, if you are a single parent, that you feel loved and welcome here and that the church can also be that place that fills in some of those places that you long to be there for. That we will be in smaller groups, that somebody will be involved in your kid's life when there are seasons and times that you can't. You can't physically be in two places at once. Totally understand that reality. And I don't ever want you to feel guilty or shame because of that. You are welcome in this place. And so we may have many reasons for not being able to do it. Some of the reasons, and when it comes to abundant time, is that I just don't feel like I have the time because of other priorities that I have in my life. Other reasons, let's be honest, is I don't want to engage in some of the things that my kids are engaged in. I don't want to be involved in some of those things. I'd rather be involved, have them be involved in the things that I'm interested in. And yet, we're being called to spend some abundant time with our kids. Now, look who didn't have time. You'd think he would give a reason. To not have time to spend time with kids? Jesus. Three years. He's got three years to impact the world for all eternity. Tell me what you have that's more important than that. And the disciples knew this, which is why they were preventing the kids from coming to see Jesus. Jesus is teaching. He's meeting with important people. He's talking about important things. Jesus doesn't have time. And Jesus says, no, no, here is a point I need to make. I have time for you. And he gathers the kids around and he pulls them close and he spends time with them. 
Well, somebody told me uh, you know, a long time ago, and never, never forgot this, it was this phrase, <clears throat> the days are long, but the years are short. The days are long, but the years are short. I mean, when you've got kids, if you've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, you're just trying to survive the next five minutes. And it feels very long, especially when there's just a lot of stress and anxiety is taking place. But yet, that awful thing called that Facebook timeline, you know, that looks back a year ago or two years ago or five years ago, and you're like, I can't believe how the time is flying. In fact, talk to anybody who's a grandparent in this room. Ask them, how, how, how fast did it go? And they'll just be like, it was here and it was gone. In fact, James tells us, 4.14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. See, the regrets of parenting, when you talk to people who have had kids and they move on, the regrets is never, I should have spent more time at work. I should have, should have closed that one last deal. I should have spent more time in my hobbies you know, at that time. That's never the regrets. That time or even the end of life, it's always about, I wish I would have spent more time. In fact, even from a Christian example, Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists who's ever lived, who converted millions of people for Jesus, had all of these different crusades and that kind of stuff. He was asked near the end of his life, hey, Billy, if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do differently? Thought for a moment. He said these words, I would have spent more time with my kids. That wouldn't be an example you would think. You're like, no, no, no. You, you, you won millions of people to Jesus. Don't you want to do another crusade? He says, no, that would have been the priority. So time, it's been so easy. We get caught up in the culture that we don't make time when it comes to our kids. Let me say also this phrase. It's a book I've been reading recently. It really challenged me on this. Love and hurry don't coexist. Love and hurry cannot coexist. We try to microwave everything and you know, get it now, you know, society, and you cannot love quickly. It takes time. Imagine this. Think about the last time. Could have been this morning that you were trying to hurry kids out the door. I do this daily. I'm like, let's go. We are late. We are already 10 minutes behind. Come on, come on. We got to get moving. And they're not moving fast enough. So am I loving well in those instances? Most of the worst times that I think about not loving well is when I have been in a hurry. In fact, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. None of those happen quickly. But that's what he's trying to produce in our lives. Speaking you know, of time is that we have to be intentionally present. I want to spend just a moment on this, on this phrase, intentionally present. There's three ways to be intentionally present. The first is to be present consistently. Consistently is to, is to constantly be around them in their world, not just ask them to be in ours. Man, I am learning this over and over and over. I don't like makeup. I don't like dolls. I don't like coloring. But my daughter does. So she's entering me into a whole new phase, you know, of like, would I rather, hey, why don't we sit down, honey, and watch football together? She's like, I don't like football. I'm like, you're going to learn to like football. Come on, let's spend time together. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Instead of saying, nope, let's push pause. Let's, let's walk away from that. Let's enter into your world consistently. Now, I don't want you to miss this. It's not just spending time with kids to build up their self-esteem. Parents intentionally brought their kids to Jesus. So the emphasis that Jesus is making in this passage is make sure that when you are spending time with your kids, where am I, Jesus, as part of this on a consistent basis? Which again, goes back to what we talked a lot more about last week in case you missed that. 
Now, I told you before last week that my dad uh, never uh, uh, let us miss Sunday services. Never miss the Sunday services. Do you know that there is actually a phrase of pastor's kids? Most of you wouldn't know this. Those of you who are pastor kids that are friends. There is actually a phrase, pastor's kids gone wild. And it's true. Because here's what happens in a pastor's home is that you grow up thinking that dad cares more about the church or the things of God than he does about you. So you grow up rebelling against the thing that took dad away from time spent with you. So you've got so many pastor's kids, you know, uh, whether it be mom was in ministry or dad's in ministry, or missionary kids, the same kind of thing. They grow up with that um, um, just absolute irritation, you know, towards the church. Sometimes, they, you know, reject it altogether. Here's one thing that I can tell you honestly is my dad, I can't remember very many events that my dad was not at. He modeled for me, and that's one of the reasons that I'm even ministry today, this idea of prioritizing the family, Christ first, the family second, and Jesus' church third, because he thought that'd be the best. So he missed some board meetings. He missed some things here or there that he could have been involved with, but it was a great example for me. And now I'm trying to do the same to my kid as well. A little different today is, gosh, growing up, I thought we played like 20 basketball games a year. Like, like now they play like 100. I'm like, yes, I'm going to miss like a few of your basketball games. That's going to happen. But at the same time, just try to be there on a consistent basis. So it's funny, if you're here on Thursday night, there's this phrase that we've developed around here, like Dan's coming in hot. What that means is I had to be at my son's basketball game and I'm coming in, worship is playing, I'm grabbing a mic and I'm coming on stage in two minutes. Or I gotta leave right away because my other son's playing a game and I'll run, run out of there because I want to model for them that yes, dad still needs to do what God's called him to do. Or in your case, dad or mom needs to do their job. But at the same time, you are going to be a priority. Now, Let me say this with a caution. Being present consistently does not mean the world revolves around your child and their schedule. If they swing it that far, all of a sudden it's child-centered parenting and the child gets raised up with with a belief that the world revolves around them. And it's not the case. Again, that goes back a little bit more to last week. So be present consistently. Second, be present mentally. (laughs) Ever been around your kids and you're physically there, but there's no way that you are there? You're there, but not there. Because there's other things that are going through your mind and your heart and the, whatever's going on in the day and that kind of stuff that takes place. One of the worst things that has happened into the home, including our home as well, has been this. Right? How easy it is when a child or you know, even a spouse or a friend is trying to get your attention and you're, oh, hold on. Just like, I'll get to you in a minute. How many times does that happen? And it's not just them. Our kids are now doing it back to us, right? Because they have the phones now. And so do you have boundaries so that everybody can be present when it comes to what's a good device, but it can destroy relationships because nobody's actually in the room. If you've ever been out to eat and you see four people around a table and nobody's talking to each other, nobody's doing this, all right? I've actually been that family a couple times, so just want to throw myself out there as well. That's happened. And so one of the rules that we've made, you know, in our house that seems to work, whenever we're around the dinner table, there's no phones. We say no phones. That's just one boundary that we've decided that has worked for us so that we can actually be present. Now, here's the other one. And again, I'm not saying this one is something from God that you should do. I'm just saying that this is what's been beneficial for us. So I want to make sure I say that very clearly. 
is that we decided not to give our kids phone till, phones until they went into high school. And I know that's crazy. It's counter, completely countercultural, you know, to be able to do so. In fact, I'm so mean that my older son got into high school, I gave him a dumb phone first, you know, so it made it even, even worse, you know, for him. The reason is because if you do the research, if you do the research, whatever boundaries that you put up, if you do the research, it is not helping them when it comes to building loving relationships inside or outside the home. So what boundaries do you have when it comes? Here's what I can tell you in my own life. I've had more significant conversations with my child in a car because we're driving here or there and they don't have access to the phone, I'm not on the phone, than I've had probably in any other place or environment on a consistent basis because we're in conversation and they're in conversation as well. Now I say this because uh, I wanna make sure I give a caveat and here it is. I need you to keep giving your kids phones to some extent because my kid, when he first said that he needed a phone when he was in middle school, he said, dad, well, what if something happens to me or what if I need to get a hold of you? And I said, great, just borrow your friend's phone. So I need some of you to keep giving your kids phones. Otherwise, my plan goes out the window. So I just want to make sure I throw that out there, you know, as well. Okay. So that's just something that, again, that we came up with because I'm trying to figure out how can I be present mentally? What pulled us away, whether it be the TV or whether it be technology, does not help connect us and be present with one another. Last way to be present is be present randomly. Surprise them. Show up for time to time. You know, things that they didn't expect you to be at or be able to expect to do. Uh, um, I'll give you two quick examples. Once growing up, I'll never forget, one of, the, one of the greatest memories I have in our home is I'm in world geography class in like seventh or eighth grade, and uh, I get this uh, voice that comes over the loudspeaker, uh, Dan Shields, please come to the office. I'm like, uh-oh. So I get up, start heading to the office, and I'm like, yeah, like uh, Principal Sweeney wants to see you. Now, if you've ever gone to the office to see the principal or vice principal, I immediately start thinking about, okay, what did I say, what did I do? What did I say, what did I do? So I start replaying the day, replaying the past week. What did I do wrong? Because I never get called to the office. So I get in there, and Mr. Sweeney is a very large, impressively intimidating man. And I sit down in the chair, and I'm already nervous, and he says, hey, you know, I just want to let you know um, that uh, we're going to have to do something different with you. In fact, you know, um, based on what's going on, uh, we're going to actually uh, make sure that you're not at school in the next five days. And I'm like freaking out. My heart's pounding, you know, starting to sweat. And at that moment, my dad and brothers run in. Surprise, we're going to Disneyland. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm all shaking. I didn't know if it'd be exciting. Like it wasn't computing, you know, like you set me up and you know, all that kind of stuff. But I look back now, it's one of the best memories, you know, I ever had was there was this random, there was this surprise. It, I mean, it wasn't random to my parents, but it made it random for me that it was out of the ordinary, out of the blue when it came to saying, wow, you are loved and we want to spend time with you. Now, I've experienced that and tried to do that in my own relationships with my kids as well. Recently, um, I got a chance to do something that I don't like doing. It's called attending something called the daddy-daughter dance. <laughs> Torture is what it is. I don't dance. And yet, I'm telling my wife, I'm like leading up to it, I'm like, oh, Caroline, I would rather do almost anything else you know, than this right now. And she just looks at me and she goes, you need to understand, she has been looking forward to this for weeks, if not months. She cannot wait for this. And I'm like, well, I can't wait for it to end. So let's have that conversation. <laughs> so she goes, no, 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 this is important. So I didn't realize how important it was until I started talking to my daughter, Angela, who's nine, you know, now, and she got to tell me how this is supposed to look. I said, well, what are we going to do this year? This is the second time I got a chance to do this. And she says, well, this is what you're going to do, dad. I was like, oh, okay, what am I going to do? She goes, you're going to dress up and then you're going to buy me flowers. 
I was like, really? She goes, yep. And then you're going to come to the door and you're going to knock and you're going to give me the flowers. And then we're going to go out to dinner and then we're going to go dancing. And again, my daughter loves to dance. Now, uh, her and my wife are from Colombia. I don't know if it's a Latina thing because she has her own dance parties in her room. Like they're just like doing all these dances and she's really good at it. And I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing. So I'm like, okay. So we're able to do that. And I'm like, this, this is really, really cute. And she's so excited. And so we go to the dance and we start dancing. I look like a complete moron. But the great part was I wasn't the only moron there because there are other moron dads, you know, that were also dancing who couldn't dance, you know, either. But just to watch her and knowing as my wife encouraged me, this is something that she will remember for the rest of her life. Okay, once again, not something that I want to do, but something that's beneficial to be present randomly. Uh, one last thing before we move on to the last thing is remember, if you are married, that your kids come second to your marriage. Your kids come second to your marriage. They need to see and know that it's not all about them. In fact, that you need to have regular dates, regular trips, regular opportunities where it's just you and your spouse if you're married so the kids can grow up saying, oh, okay, that's important because I know here's what happens. In our family, my daughter always asks, well, how come you and mama get to go do that? How come you guys get to go out to eat? How come I don't get to go? And then every once in a while, I'll be a little snarky. I'm like, look, honey, your mom was there before you and she's gonna be there after you. You're just temporary. <laughs> so that's that's. That's me. You know, this is just a season, you know, there. So you don't want to get to the end of the season because the third highest divorce age is empty nesters. You realize it's year one, it's year seven when you have one or two kids, that time frame, and then it's year like 25. And, the, and what they found out is that you pour so much time focusing on the kids or kid that when they grow up and you look at each other, I don't even know you anymore. That doesn't benefit the child. So make sure your marriage is important. Okay, so principle one, loving appropriate touch. Second is abundant time. Lastly, encouraging conversations. Encouraging conversations. Verse 16, then the, the, Jesus took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. Incredible. Not just a loving touch, but Jesus turned that touch into a blessing, a pronouncement, an encouragement in front of others about what God is doing or is going to do in that child's life. And so again, more is caught than taught, more is modeled. And so what comes out of your mouth regularly? Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.11, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Again, what we celebrate, kids will emulate a lot of times we focus on what they did wrong, what they did bad. My dad grew up in a household where everything that was pointed out to him was, why did you get the A minus, not the A? Hey, you missed that note playing the trouble. Why didn't you play better in that sporting event? Instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to make sure that we're going to celebrate the things that I would like to see in you. And you watch over time how kids begin to emulate what you're celebrating. Which I would say this, encourage kids on who they are as much as, if not more, than what they do. We are in a value based on performance-driven culture. And somewhere along the lines, we have learned the opposite of what God wants us to do, which is to love people for just being people, starting with our kids. Matthew 3.17 says this, And a voice from heaven said to Jesus, This is God to Jesus, This is my dearly loved son, which brings me great joy. Here's what doesn't make sense. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. And so in our culture, we're looking at that going, wait a minute, God, because God could have just said, hey, here's my son, listen to him, he's the man, he's going to show you the way, and uh, you're going to see what's going to happen. No, 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 he brings me great joy. 
already he brings value. I love him and he's done nothing yet. Nothing. What a model and example from a father to a son. And you already do it anyway. Sometimes we forget about this. For those of you who've ever had a child, the child comes out. You have this bond. You have this attachment with your child that's different than anybody else's child. And yet the child has done nothing but exist. What have they done? In fact, they're going to create some real pain, heartache, and sleepless nights over the next couple you know, weeks or months or whatever it may be. And yet there's this bond that's attached just for them merely existing. Somewhere along the way, oftentimes it goes from, man, I love you for who you are to you better do the right things the right way at the right time and they don't receive that other message. Now again, next week, we're going to talk about discipline. We're going to talk about how to do that on a regular basis. But do you encourage for who they are? Uh, One of the things I want to also just say this, have encouraging conversations on tough subjects. What tend to to happen in parenting is because we're doing it really, really quickly, is we, we do the don't parenting, right? Don't hang with those friends. Don't bully. Don't you know, uh, go out with that girl. Don't have sex. You know, don't, uh, you know, talk about that stuff. Don't swear. Don't. And we become the don't parents, right? And we have to slow down enough to say, and here's why. Here's the opposite. Here's the hard conversation. But let me encourage you on why these things can be destructive or hurtful or harmful in your life instead of the don't, 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 don't. It'll go a lot further faster. In fact, in fact one of those things, if you have a preteen I would encourage you to take them on a journey called Passport to Purity. It's an overnight experience that you do with your child. And it not only talks about what's happening to them from a you know, sexual standpoint, but it talks about you know, peer pressure, and it talks about leadership, and it talks about some of those things you know, that is very, very helpful, and it walks you through it. Because here's what I know. Many of us, again, we've not been modeled. We only carry on to our kids what usually has been modeled to us, and there's a different way that you can model something different to your kids if need be. One of the best ways to start meaningful discussions is to ask open-ended questions. To start, hey, what do you think about? Especially as they get older, let them begin to process and then you know where they're at to be able to go on a journey with them. Okay, so many things we've talked about today. What's your next step? What's your next step that you can put extra attention on on all your relationships? See, the principles apply to all relationships. You know, an appropriate you know, physical touch. How important is that? Shaking hands, giving hugs, loving one another. There's so much the Bible has to say about that in any dynamic, in any relationship. Uh, abundant time. Try, try getting into any deep relationship without the time it's going to take to do so. And encouraging, encouraging words. It's the last time we encouraged, you know, one another. So we're thinking about kids, but this applies to all. What is your next step? What's the area that you want to focus in on? as we pray. Father, thank you so much for today, for the chance to be able to love you and love others. God, I pray again that this is the beginning of a conversation, so much that we've talked about with these three things, a loving touch, consistent time, and the opportunity to have encouraging words. God, I pray that you just allow us to examine our hearts, not to get stuck with what we may not have received, but knowing what we're able to give to those around us. Lord, I pray you would just guide us in this decision-making time of where we go from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.